0: All right, so this Wednesday we're starting our, our apologetics class. We do it every year, and, but because not everyone attends that, we also do a an apologetics series in the fall. And so that's what we're doing for the next three weeks. We're doing an apologetics series. Um, and the reason why we do this is because a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world, um, we need to talk about. And so there are things that happen. So a couple of years ago, um, there was a, uh, several big name Christian leaders that came out and said, "We are rejecting Christianity. we're walking away from our faith." And so we actually talked about that. Uh, it took us about 10 weeks to do, um, but we talk about these things. And this morning someone asked, "Well, what is apologetics?" So apologetics, it comes from Second um, Peter 3:15 and in 2nd Peter 3:15 or sorry 1st Peter 3:15 and in 1st Peter 3:15 Peter says that we need to be prepared to give an apologia a defense of the faith or some translations will say a reason for why you believe okay but that idea is that when someone asks you a question why do you believe your response is an apologia this is why i believe and so different approaches the apologetics, I teach a conversational approach, which is um, questions and answers to get at core issues, but what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to look at several questions that I think get asked a lot, at least they get asked of me a lot, and so we're going to cover those. Now, I think there's about 10 that always get asked, you know, things like, um, why doesn't God want me to be happy, you know, things like that. Um, who created God. Like This is just questions people ask. Um, and every time that we would have youth things and I would do a q and I could guarantee certain questions would be asked. And sure enough, those questions would be asked. Um, so an example of this is we had a Bible study one time with some teens. And that week, um, I always encourage them to ask questions. You know, reading through the, the book of the Bible, if a question sparks in your mind, We'll answer it. So we're going through the book of Mark and these two girls go, Okay, well what is the Trinity? So this must have been we weren't it wasn't in the passage, but we're talking and this sparked in their mind, so we spent forty five minutes talking about the Trinity. Okay? Two weeks later, a new teen comes into that Bible study, and guess what they asked? What is the Trinity? So we spent forty five minutes answering what the Trinity was. And so because we want everyone to understand as best as they can certain things right we want them as much as we can relate to them and when growing up I was always interested in historical events and so my passion is in apologetics because I love history I love different cultures in fact my favorite culture is the um, Japanese culture and so when I went to college my desire was to get a degree in history and follow that up with a specific in um Japanese culture. That didn't work out. So, I'm here now, still doing history, but just in a little different way. But through that, because I had a passion for history, and once I became a Christian, I started engaging with these different religions and asking the question, you know, what, how can I reach people who believe in such things? And so through that, I have talked to a lot of people both on, in person and online we used to do this thing called reading street ministry in college where we'd go out and i would purposely go to barnes and nobles um, into the religion section just to talk to people and so this is my passion is apologetics so my passion is your you know bane so that's what we do every fall right so to say all that, we are going to start talking about three big overarching questions in the next three weeks. And it all this first one really is around this idea of um, this question that Jesus presents in Mark 8. So in Mark 8, Jesus presents this. He says, who do you say I am? Now if you were in our Mark study that we did a few years ago, we talked about how on a macro scale, so on a big scale, Mark is basically a lead up to this question and then straight to the cross. Jesus at this point about halfway through he asks this questions of the disciples. First he says, "Who do people say that I am?" and then he makes it specific, "Who do you say I am?" And that is the central question of the gospel. Who is Jesus? Right? In fact, in my own apologetics life, when I share the gospel, it's always, "Who do you say Jesus is?" This is the question he asks of us. And that answer either leads us into salvation or leads us into damnation, right? Let's, let's be as honest as possible, right? Um, but either leads us to Christ or it leads us away. And so that one question is huge. And so this is where we're going to start our apologetic series is not the who Jesus is, but this idea that Jesus And this is something that gets asked a lot, or said a lot, isn't a real person. Okay? Now you might be thinking, well, isn't he is? And you'd be right. But that's not what a lot of people believe. You know, there are people out there, and the term is called mythicist. Okay? This term mythicist um, is used to describe people that view Jesus as a myth. Okay? very, you know, scholars are really unique with their words. So if you believe in a myth, you are a mythicist. Right? Very simple scholarly work. Okay? But they believe that he is not a historical figure. That instead, that he is a, um, kind of this conglomeration of all these different religious beliefs. And that the Christians took all these different Eastern beliefs and they created this person, Jesus. And this is actually... It started in the 1800s in Germany, and it, it's really died off since then. Modern scholarship rejects this idea, but it is used a lot in places. I don't know if you've ever heard the Joe Rogan Show. Um, it is the number one podcast in the nation. Joe Rogan, um, he used to do MMA. Um, what's it called? Uh, he does MMA, but he was a commentator for the UFC and so but he has a podcast and on that he believes that Jesus was made up by the early Christians and so that that's the most popular podcast in the nation and the host of it has this idea he is a mythicist and so but this permeates throughout a lot of academia People will believe this. Um, I've ran into teenagers that have said this. I've ran into just people on the street that will say, well, Jesus is, once they find out I'm pastor, they're like, well, Jesus is just, he's not even historical. And so this is actually a huge thing that is out there that we need to combat. Now, for the mythicist, there's really only three arguments, there's four arguments that we're going to cover, three of them today, and the fourth one's next week. Okay, So this might be a little more like... I've been told that my classes are like advanced college level. So I'm sorry already. All right? But we need to know this stuff so we can be able to... If we're going to share the gospel with people, we need to be prepared for that moment. Okay, So the first argument that we're going to cover today is this idea that Jesus is based on ancient gods' death and resurrection stories. Okay, That there are other Near Eastern religions out there that also believe that their God died and resurrected. Now, I've heard this used a lot. There are about six stories that are constantly brought up. Um, Greek, Babylonian, Egyptian, that are brought up. And so this is the first argument. Now, the second argument, it won't be up there, but the second argument is this idea that there are no records of Jesus outside of the New Testament. Okay? So that's another one. The third one is that there's no archaeological evidence for Jesus. And then the fourth one we'll cover next week is that the Gospels were in so so late that they're not historically valid. Okay? So we're going to cover that fourth one that's another question, but these first three. Let's let's go through these and talk about them because I'm going to give you the argument and then how we as Christians can respond to it. So this first one, that Jesus is just based on other gods dying and resurrecting. Okay, so I'm going to give you one story. There are others, or about like I said, there are about six. So I'm going to give you one, and we're going to work our way through it. Okay, so this is what I do when I run into someone that will say this: Jesus is ba- his his story is based on this story right this is how i would walk through that so here's the story jesus is based on osiris the osiris and seth story and here's the story there's osiris over there on the right and osiris is the first god king in egypt Okay, so he's the first god king in Egypt. And his brother, Seth, usually depicted as that little dog thing over there, um, he doesn't like Osiris. He wants to be king. And so what he does is he goes and he takes Osiris and he kills him and then hacks him up and spreads his body all over Egypt. Okay, well, Osiris is... Two sisters, two goddesses, they go around Egypt and they find all of the pieces of Osiris and put him back together. okay and he becomes the first mummy. okay So where mummies come from Osiris okay So well the, the religious part of it. So then Isis his, Osiris's sister wife, she resurrects him okay? and then has a child with him. And then he becomes, Osiris becomes, the god or the king of the underworld. All right? And that's where the story ends for now. All right? So now, I want you to think of that story. Now think of the biblical teaching on the resurrection. This is why reading your Bible is really important. Okay? So think of the biblical story about the resurrection. And let's compare the two. What is some differences? One, he's a God-king on earth already, right? That's one. Um, he has a brother. That's a God as, like him, right? That brother murders him, chops him up. I mean, the whole story, really, as we're going through, they're very different. What about Jesus? He is God come down, puts on human flesh, Sacrifices himself, right, upon the cross. He is buried, okay, so now we're at the bury part. So there's already vast differences here, right? Vast differences. Then who resurrects? In the Osiris, it's his wife, but for Jesus, it's the power of God. Very different, right? Now, where does Osiris go? Nowhere. He stays in the underworld. Where does Jesus come back? He comes back to earth. The only scars we know about is his, is his crucified scars, right? They shows Thomas. and then he spends time with his disciples, and then he's, he ascends to heaven. and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? OK. Very different than the Osiris story. Really, there's no parallels there at all except the resurrection, right? But even then, the resurrection is not the resurrection. In the Jewish understanding, there's the resurrection to, it's a bodily resurrection to eternal life. But Osiris doesn't get that. It's not a new body, right? It's just his body patched together and he's not new life he's just stuck in the underworld but Jesus has this new it's a this spiritual body it's to heaven you know it's all it's very different it's vastly different but see a lot of people just say there's a story that the Christians took and therefore Jesus isn't true yeah until you actually look at the story and that's the response that we need to have. So if someone were to come to me and say, well, in the ancient world, there is a sto- there are stories w- that the Christians took from, my first thing I would say is, which story? Because I'll tell you this, the majority of people that have told that to me, they go, well, I just heard. It's like, so you never actually looked into it. Oh, no, no, no. It's like, well, okay, let's do it. And I walk them through the Osiris story and says, here's just one example. Does that sound like the same? And every single time, well, no. Okay, if that one's wrong, what do you think about the other ones? They're probably not, wrong. They're probably not right either. And so, and then we talk about, like, Mithras and these other ones. But, so that's the first thing, is have, which story And then even if they say, well, this story, let's walk through that story. And we walk through the story. Okay, here's the biblical account. Do those sound like the the same? No, they don't. Exactly. Because they're not. And so it's just a very simple thing. But it takes time. Right? It takes time. And so my style of apologetics, it takes a lot of time. It's conversational. It's, hey, let's talk through this. Here's what the Bible actually says. Because the majority of people that challenge the Bible have never read it. That's why we really need to read our Bibles. We need to understand it. And so if we're going to be sharing the Gospel, we've got to know what we're sharing. Okay? So when we get into situations like this, we can just be like, oh, here it is. Now normally, we're talking like this. Normally I would actually open the Bible and say, here we go. Okay? so they can actually see it. Okay. So I'm just kind of condensing everything. But that's our first response is what is it? And let's look at the Bible. That seems pretty easy, right? No? I know. I'm trying to be as hard as I can. I mean. Okay. So that's the first one, pretty simple. All right? Here's the second argument. Jesus was never mentioned by Roman sources. Okay what's really interesting and this is the basis of this reason the idea is okay we don't have a death certificate we don 't have a born you know a birth certificate the Romans were really meticulous in in making sure that everything was documented all right that falls apart really fast so we're, we'll get to the Roman part, but just this idea falls apart really fast because first off the the Information that we have, the majority of it is about Romans who are important. I know Jesus is important to us right now. He is our Savior. He is the most influential person in all of human history, right? Time Magazine, they want to make money. What do they do? Put Jesus on the front of a, a copy because everyone has an opinion about Jesus because he is the most influential person ever. But let's put his let's put us back into first century. Who's Jesus? He's no one, right? To the world, especially to the Romans, he's a backwater Jew. Who cares about Jesus? So even if there was documentation, why would they even care to keep it? I'm going to give you an example. So I was, um, we ju- we have a house, Okay, we purchased a house here in Courtside, And I want some information about my house. It was built in 1982. Okay, so you know what I do? I contact La Paz County. Can I have some information about my house? We have no record of your house. Except the tax records, which we keep very locked and safe and make sure that you pay every year. Right? And they said, your house was built while Yuma... While well, La Paz was becoming a county, so your t- your information is probably in Yuma, because it just probably never made it up to us. Okay, so I call Yuma. Yuma, I would like some information. We have no information about your house. There was a fire, and your documentation probably went up with it. Okay, I'll tell you right now. The house is real. Okay, I live in it. And so, just because the documentation is there does not mean it's not real, right? Right. Okay, so that's one part of this. But the other part of this... Navi, put your hand down. I'm not answering your question. I can answer that later. (laughs) Um, The other part of this is Jesus being a backwater Jew is still mentioned by Roman people, influential Roman people. I'm going to give you three... But there are more. One of the most popular one is Josephus, but I want to give you these three, okay? Because these are Romans. Josephus is a Jew, um, but these are Romans. So the first one is Tacitus, okay? He's on the right. Um, he is a Roman historian. So he's writing about Nero and how there's this fire that goes through Rome, and Nero blames the Christians. And Tacitus says, "And these Christians follow this guy named Christ, Jesus, right? They follow this guy. So he, he understands Jesus as a historical person. That these Christians came about because of this historical person, Jesus. Another guy, his name's Pliny the Younger. He's actually a governing official in Asia. And this is a little later. He's dealing with these Christians. And they're not, the Christians are doing anything wrong except not doing the civil religion. So they're not sacrificing to um, Caesar. And so he contacts Trajan, the emperor at the time, and he says, look, I got these Christians. They're not doing it. What should I do? And Trajan says, look, if they're not causing any problems, don't worry about it. But in that letter, he talks about how these Christians are following this guy named Christ. And so he takes it as a historical person. And then the last guy, I ain't going to try to say his last name, Marabar up there, he's a Roman philosopher who talks about Jesus' crucifixion. He says, this guy was crucified. And so there's Roman historians, there are Roman philosophers. These are different, the reason I use this, because these are different aspects of the Roman society, all believing and saying, this is who is a historical person. That this isn't made up. And so that's just something. So right there, when I'm talking to someone, they're like, no, one, no Romans spoke about them. Well, first off, we don't have all the documents. But what we do have is really interesting because we shouldn't. Right? Really, if the Romans were, they didn't care about Jesus at all. If Jesus had no impact in history, he wouldn't, they wouldn't say anything about him. And so, but we do have documentation. So that's the second one. The final one comes about archaeology. Okay, sorry. So we got that? Did everyone get that? If you're taking notes? Okay. Let's just go back real fast. Oh, it's there. It's it's up there. Anyways. So remind and point, those are the two words. Remind the person that look, we can't even do good documentation in our society. So don't don't use that as a reason why you should reject Jesus. But secondly, he was. He was documented by other Romans, and I just give you three. There are a lot more, okay? So you can do your own research in that. Now, the last argument has to do with archaeology. Archaeology, and it's this idea that there are no archaeological evidence. There's none about Jesus' existence because archaeologists like to have something that says, "I, Jesus, was here." You know, we don't like graffiti today, but archaeo- in a hundred years, man. There's an archaeologist archeolo- Is like, I love the graffiti. You know, because that's really, like a lot of archaeology is graffiti. <laughs> you know, that they look at. And so they would love to have something that Jesus had put down on a stone. Now the reality is, most historical figures, we don't have that stuff. We might have a bust of someone that was made 100 years later. But we don't have a lot of all archeolo- Man, I'm going to have a hard... We don't have that stuff, okay? <laughs> a lot of people. After Yeah, after a while. I've been up for a while. And so... Anyway, so th- we don't have a lot of this stuff. And, and even what we do have is an interpretation of the past. So I want to share with you this quote from an archaeologist. And his name's Herschel Shanks. And he writes this, Good scholars... Honest scholars will continue to differ about the interpretation of archaeological remains simply because archaeology is not a science. It is an art, and sometimes it's not even a very good art. I'll give you an example of this. So, I just did a a study on the Exodus and how scholarly, okay, we're going on the scholar side, and how scholars interpret the Exodus. And there's basically three interpretations there's the biblical account okay so with Joshua coming on in okay there is the um it's the in uh, indigenous inhabitants so they were already there in Canaan and they just rose up they revolted and they took on they made up this whole history of themselves and became the nation of Israel and then there's a uh, another idea of it's both. Okay, so what I did was I looked at the scholarly information and all the writings and the archaeology based on these things in this time period, and then I wrote my you know, paper. This is for something. And so I wrote my paper, and I'll tell you what, everyone had the exact same information, and there was about 30 different interpretations of that information that I looked up. And I was just very specific on what I was looking for. And so, archaeology, even when we have it, is always interpreted. And so, no, there isn't anything that Jesus said. He didn't put a little stone and say, I, Jesus, was here. But, if we look at the archaeological account, right, of, of that time period, so Palestine in the, the first century, we start asking the questions, does Jesus actually match the, p- the person that he should be, right? The type of Jewish person he should be. And his language, his idioms, his mannerisms, his dress, everything about Jesus matches that first century Jew. And there are people that will say, that they try to take Jesus' Jewishness away, and you can't do that. It's actually how Jewish he is that helps us historically understand that, yes, he was a real person. And then the dates and places that are described with him, are all, they all match. And so once you start understanding the archaeological system that's around, then you can say, well, yeah, Jesus is a real person because everything that is said about him doesn't match the Greek, doesn't match the Egyptian, doesn't match the Babylonian. It matches first century Judaism. And so it's not an amalgamation it is a real historical person that walked this earth. And so just these things. So these are just three things. So in this, we we I try to be as honest as possible with people. No, there is no physical stone that says Jesus was here. I don't think he would tag things anyways. You know? I don't think he would do some graffiti. Okay. But everything that we have about Jesus shows him to be a first century Jew during the time when he was supposed to live. And so, that's what I would walk with people through. And then I connect that actually with the final argument, which we'll cover next week. Okay? But I think that's a lot of information for you. Right? That's a lot. So we'll stop on that. Okay? But, here's the thing. We as believers should not shrink back at this, because the reality is Scripture lets us know that there will be people that don't believe that Jesus walked this earth. Okay? So in John, and so this is in 2 John, okay, in the first chapter, and in, in the first verse, or in the seventh verse, this is what John says. I say this. Because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now, this goes on to a bigger theological thing. But just this idea is Jesus was actually there. Jesus actually walked as we did. Right? So he had this stuff on him. He's not some spiritual being that just was spirit the whole time. Or he was just an illusion. No, he walked as humanity walked. And so John's making that clear. And so this historical mythicism is just a rehash of things that early Christians were already dealing with. Jesus wasn't even a real person. This isn't the first time it's been brought up. So as Christians, we shouldn't say, oh, well, you know, modern day um, scholars, they don't believe, so therefore, I guess we're wrong. This isn't the first time. It won't be the last time that people challenge the historicity of Jesus. But what's great is we follow a God who works in history. Okay? We follow a God who works in history. In fact, so much so, there is so much overwhelming evidence for Jesus as a historical person. There's a guy, a scholar by the name of Bart Ehrman. You might have heard his name. He was a Christian at one point, he says, and then over time he rejected Christ, and so he is at least an agnostic, at the very least, and he he does not believe in the deity of Jesus. He doesn't believe in the Christian re- faith at all. Yet even he says this, and we'll have to go back there. He says this. In fact, he wrote a book, and in the like, in the Trying to get people to read his book. This is what he said. I can assure you as a historian. That whatever else you might want to say about Jesus. He certainly existed. The scholarship. The historical evidence is so overwhelming. That even. Agnostic. People that have rejected the faith. Agree that Jesus. At the least. Was historical. But if you reject that he's a a historical figure, you know what you also reject? You can just outright reject the message of Jesus. Right? You don't have to read the Bible. Jesus wasn't historical, therefore everything written about was made up. So you don't have to read it. But see, if, if Jesus is a real person, now you have to confront his words. Now you have to actually Read it. And now you actually have to struggle and wrestle with passages like John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay. Now you have to struggle with that. Because He said that. You know what that means? It means either you have to go through Him, or you don't. Now, you have to wrestle with Him. And like Jacob found out, no one walks away with, from God unaffected. And so, but it's an easy way for people to just like, well, I, I can just reject that he was a real person. That way I don't have to deal with his words. But I love it because God works in history. And so I love, this is comes from Hebrews one, 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. That's historical stuff, right? To the prophets, so specific people in history at various times, that's moments in history. That's the Old Testament, right? Okay. But in these last days, again, moments in history, He has spoken to us by His Son, a person of in history, a historical person, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also made the universe. That is a historical statement. Through Jesus, all things are made. That's a historical moment in history. Okay, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of the being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. That means that when Jesus is walking on, He's the full God. That means God entered into humanity and walked with them. That's a historical moment. It says after he provides purification for sins, that's the cross, right? So that that the death, burial, resurrection, that's a moment in history. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That is another, the ascension. That's another historical. Everything that God does is done in history. God is a historical God. You know that, but for other religions, God, the gods are not historical entities. Now there might be historic. Here's a historical event, but the their teachings do not have to be based in history. It can just be, oh, it makes you feel good. It trans, you know, changes your way of thinking. No, Scripture is historical. It was God meaning men and women like us throughout history, and He's still doing it today. Our God is a historical God that keeps working throughout all of history. And it says, it ends with, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And so my challenge for you this week very simple. I don't want, I'm not challenging you to like go through and know all these things that we've talked about today, but just walk away with a preparation mindset. I want people to know the Gospel. This should be our heart. This is God's heart. That people know the Gospel, that they hear the Gospel, that they come to Christ. Are we ready to, to answer them? Are we ready to give an apologia? A defense of the faith? If someone were to ask you tomorrow or tell you, you know, I don't believe that Jesus was a historical person. Are you more prepared then than you were however long ago, 30 minutes ago, to answer? What do you mean by that? Well, I believe believe he's an amalgamation of all the different religions in the Middle East and that he's just like Osiris. Do you know the story of Osiris? Not really. Well, let's talk about it. Go through the story of Osiris. Here's the the Bible. This is what the Bible teaches and what it says. Does that look similar? Well, no. Well, okay. Because he's not. He's unique. And so that's just one thing. I want to challenge you to prepare yourself. So that is gaining knowledge, but going before God and say, okay, God, teach me. Hebrews says that in these days, we're taught by the Son. So let's go. Let's go to the sun. Let's go. Okay, Jesus, talk to me. Teach me. So that I am better prepared when you bring me into people's lives to share the Gospel. Help me to do that. And so that's my challenge for you. Read. Right? Learn. Go through. And I just, I say... Do Read through Hebrews 1 just because that will solidify in your mind our God is a historical God. He does things in history. So therefore I can look into history and say, God show me. Right? And then I can... There are Romans that talk about Jesus. No, the, those other religions don't speak of the resurrection. Um, there is... Jesus fits the archaeological framework all of that in history because our God is a historical God and therefore his thumbprint is in history and so my challenge learn that read through Hebrews go to God and say God speak through me speak to me speak through me for whose glory not mine it's Jesus' glory and so that is my challenge for you today let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you do throughout throughout history. I mean, it's just amazing the overwhelming evidence you give us, to where it's literally no one has a cause to, to not accept Christ. There's it's overwhelming. And the the creation you gave us, the history that we've lived, and the the impact in in my life, and the lives of my brothers and sisters that you have shown and you have made known to the world Lord I ask as my brothers and sisters and I we go through this week Lord teach us give us eyes to, to see and ears to hear you as you lead us into these conversations where we get to share the gospel with people I pray Lord that when we have those conversations that the Holy Spirit would be moving that it be on our words because you have directed us and that it be convicting the people that we're talking to So that they can come out of death. That they can have true resurrection through you. And not just this idea that it's all just fake. So Father, I thank you because you're a good Father. And Lord, we praise you and worship you. In the name of Jesus, amen.